Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different. Uh, Today we are continuing our series that we started last week called Kings and Kingdoms. And the the title of the series comes from an old song of the church uh, called There's Something About That Name. And there's a line in the song that says about the name of Jesus, kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. And what it's implying is that every king, every kingdom will come to an end at some point, but there's one king, there's one kingdom whose reign will continue for eternity. And that's the the name of Jesus. That's the kingdom of heaven. And what we see is that the kingdom of heaven was so important to us that Jesus actually taught his disciples to pray for the the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven and the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter six, when he teaches his disciples to pray, he says, pray this way. Our our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. This is what he's praying. You let your kingdom manifest and advance on planet earth. And this is a prayer that I think we as believers should be praying. God, let your kingdom manifest itself in and through me. And let your kingdom advance in and through me. So what we have to see is that the birth of Jesus, the nativity of Jesus, wasn't just about the baby boy being born in the manger. It wasn't just about the gifts. It wasn't just about the setting. All those kind of things. It's about the the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven on planet earth. That, That today, the kingdom of heaven is advancing because of what Jesus started in the manger. Uh, Some of the ideas, a couple of the things that we're going to talk through today, I've uh, taken from a book that I love called Hidden Christmas by Tim Keller. And so if you love Christmas and you want to go a little deeper with uh, beyond just the the Christmas story, I would encourage you, um, take a look at this book. It really is a wonderful read. Uh, We're going to start in Matthew chapter 2 today. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. And it says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Let me move on. Verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And Bethlehem and Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote, and they quote Micah 5.2. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So here's what happens. King Herod, who was uh, appointed by the Roman Senate to lead and rule this area, uh, he... He's minding his business one day when these, these magi, these wise men arrive from the east and they ask this poignant question, where is the newborn king of the Jews? And he does, does a little digging and he finds out he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. He gives them instructions. What we see after this, he goes on to tell them, hey, you go find this newborn king of the Jews and you come tell me, I would love to come worship him with you. Now, 
Let me just give you a little background on King Herod. King Herod uh, was appointed as the uh, leader of, ruler of, king of this region uh, around 40 BC. He was raised in a home that was, um, they were Edomites is what scripture tells us. And Edomites means that they were descendants of Esau, who was the brother of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. So they were different branches similar lineage, different lineages, but, but similar heritage, if that makes sense. So they early on had converted over to Judaism. And so King Herod was raised in a Jewish home, Jewish cultures, Jewish customs. He understood Judaism, but he doesn't remember his prophecy about the Messiah. He doesn't remember this. So when these men show up, it was shocking for him. And one of the reasons it was shocking is uh, he, he guarded his throne with an iron fist. He ruled with strength and then some. Um, anytime there was a threat to his throne, he would violently put down that threat. What we see historically is Herod actually uh, had his own wife and son killed because he viewed them as a threat to his rule. So you can see he didn't want anybody messing with his kingdom, messing with his authority, messing with his power. And then you have these men show up who said, where is the newborn king of the Jews? And this is disturbing to him. And the reason it's disturbing is because he had been given the title by the Roman Senate, king of the Jews. And so when someone shows up and says, I'm looking for the king of the Jews, and Herod goes, oh, that's me you're looking for. And they go, no, 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 we're looking for somebody else. Herod's a little disturbed. He's, he is uh, uncomfortable with this because now they're getting into his business, right? See, people like Jesus until he threatens our kingdom. Um. I have the opportunity to talk to people of lots of different faith backgrounds. And that's one of the beautiful things about living in Indiana, Pennsylvania, is we have some diversity because of the university here. And one of the things I've noticed when I talk to people of different faith backgrounds is that people, especially in the Abrahamic faith, um, Judaism, uh, Muslims, Christians, um, they all hold Jesus in esteem. Most most religious backgrounds, even Buddhists, will uh, respect Jesus. He might be a rabbi or a teacher, or a moral man or a good person. Lots of different things, a prophet even. But the moment that you cross the line from him being a good man or a prophet or a good teacher to the point where he is king, that's when people get uncomfortable. That's when the conversations shift. That's when people start getting a little combative in their tone. Because it's one thing to say Jesus was a good man. It's another thing to say he was king of kings and lord of lords. Because when he is king of kings and lord of lords, that means you're not king. Because there can only be one king. There can only be one boss. And in fact, we are a people who love the idea that no one's gonna tell me what to do. <laughs> if we're gonna be totally honest, there are people who came to church this weekend 
because not because they wanted to be at church or worship God. Quite frankly, there's a bunch of people who probably would have rather stayed home in their pajamas today. But Governor Wolf said you shouldn't go out. And there are some people in Indiana, Pennsylvania who are at church to stick it to Governor Wolf. <laughs> there, there are lifelong Presbyterians in our church that were just Pentecostal, like, hallelujah! <laughs> stick it to Governor Wolf. Yes, Lord, right? Why? Because we are people that want to say, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do, right? We take some pride in that. Our rugged independence in Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> it didn't sit well with King Herod. Uh, he had told these men to come back and tell him where the newborn king of the Jews was, and they didn't. The angel of the Lord said, no, 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 don't go back that way. So they left. And when King Herod found out, he was angry. In fact, we see in Matthew chapter two, verse 16, it says Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. He was so angry and he was so threatened by the law, possible loss of his authority by the possible loss of his throne that he said, go and kill every two-year-old boy in this region. I don't care what it costs. I don't care who it hurts. I'm not going to lose my throne. And we look at this and this seems maniacal, right? This seems crazy. But, but let's be honest. There's a little bit of King Herod in every one of us. All of us will fight to maintain our authority, our power, our kingdom, our throne, to make sure that no one tells me what to do. We want to make sure that I'm comfortable, that I'm happy, that I've got everything I'm, I'm supposed to have. It is mine. This is the interesting thing about this, though. He did everything he could to, to, to dispel rumors of this future king. He did everything he could to stop it in its tracks. And today, Herod is a footnote in history. We know who Herod is historically because of the position he had, but we, he really only has name in our culture because of his association with Jesus. The very name he tried to squash is the name that is recognized. That at the end of the day, he could say, I'm the true king, but it didn't make any difference. See, again, I know my audience pretty well. I know our culture in Western Pennsylvania. And uh, I don't know if you remember um, after the presidential election in 2016, there were some folks who had shirts that said, not my president, about Donald Trump. And I have a feeling that there might be some more of those shirts circulated come the third week of January <laughs> in Western Pennsylvania. Some people wearing some shirts that say, not my president, because you didn't vote for Joe Biden, that you didn't, you didn't elect him, uh, that, that, that you think it was a fraud or a front or, or a coup, whatever it is. Uh, and we're not going to get into all that today, by the way, and we're never going to get into all that. So for the record, 
But at the end of the day, no matter what t-shirt you wear, it's not gonna change who actually is in authority in the White House, right? We can deny it all we want, but it doesn't change the, tr the true authority. And, and King Herod could deny it all at once, but it didn't change the true authority of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this. Um, you can deny Jesus as king of your life, but it doesn't change the fact that he is king of your life. You can deny his lordship all you want. It does not change the fact that he is Lord. What changes is when we acknowledge it, it changes the position of our heart in regard to his lordship. So you can deny it all you want. You can say, not my king. I'm still king of my life. I'm still in control. I'm still in authority. But I want you to know this. We don't make him Lord. We surrender to his lordship. And one of the mistakes I've made, and in, it in really is semantics in some way, but I'll say something to you like, hey, maybe you wanna make him Lord of your life today. And I want you to know this. You're not making him Lord. He's not waiting to become Lord. He is Lord. But you're surrendering to his lordship and saying, I acknowledge today, I'm not trying to be my own Lord. You are my Lord. Philippians chapter Two verses nine through 11 say this. Therefore, God elevated him, talking of Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Paul is referencing Isaiah 45, 23 here. He's actually um, he's actually taking this passage and applying it to Jesus and helping helping people see that Jesus is God, that he is Lord. And he uses this word every here, and the Greek word uh, for every is pas, P-A-S. And, and what it means is it's most commonly translated in Scripture as all. And, and what it means is the individual and the collective, and I love this because what he's saying is when he says every knee will bow, he's saying every individual person who has lived or will ever live, every individual, their knee will bow and their tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There is coming a day when all, every individual knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. It's going to happen. We get to choose when it happens. So even if we deny Christ on earth, there will come a time in eternity when we will kneel and confess that Jesus is Lord. It is much better to do it now than then. So it's every individual, but it's collective as well. So what it's saying is, and we talked about this a little last week, uh, every tribe, every tongue, every culture, every group, every subgroup, there is no one excluded from this. When he says every, he means every. All, collective, all individually will declare Jesus is Lord. Every king, every president, every kingdom, every ruler who has ever lived or will ever live will all kneel and confess that Jesus is the one true king and one true Lord.
See, the kingdom of heaven will confront every other king and every other throne, including your kingdom and your throne. There's a book I I love uh, by Dr. Henry Cloud. It's called Boundaries. And it is a great book for relationships. Um, I've recommended it. I've read it. I reread it about a year ago, a year and a half ago, maybe. Anyway, um, and the whole book is about how do you set healthy boundaries with the people around you? How do you set healthy boundaries in your marriage, in your uh, relationship with your kids? Um, Because boundaries are important. Uh, another way of kind of stating is simplifying it. Uh, there was an old saying that was popularized by uh, Robert Frost that says, good fences make good neighbors, right? And um, one of the things about fences with your neighbors is it helps define things. It helps you understand uh, this is mine and that is yours. This is what I'm supposed to take care of. That is what you take care of. If you've ever had a roommate and you, you maybe have shelves in the fridge where you, where you go, hey, this is my shelf. This is off limits. You don't touch my cheese, Daryl. <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you've got your limits. You've got your boundaries. You've got your lines. And this is the thing I, I want you to hear. Too many people who confess Jesus as Lord, who say they are believers, have boundaries with God. We've said, hey, this is your line. That is yours and this is mine. This is off limits. You don't touch my shelf. Now you've got your, I'll give you what you get and I have what I have. And this is how many times it's broken up. We will say something like, and we won't say this out loud because we know you don't say this, but in our hearts we'll say something like, Jesus, you are Lord of my salvation. I don't want to go to hell. I do want to go to heaven. So that is yours. That belongs to you. I am Lord of my finances. You don't mess with that. You don't touch that. In fact, you tell Mel to stop talking about that. That doesn't belong to you. That belongs to me. Um, I am Lord of my future. I get to decide. You don't get to call me to go move to Africa and work with Overland Missions. I'm not going to do it. You're not Lord of that. You're Lord of my salvation. You can be Lord of my peace though, because I need peace. So I'll give you Lordship over that. You can be Lord of my hope, right? So, So we divvy it up with God and go, here's what you've got. Here's what I've got. Now you do your thing and stay out of my business. (laughs) These are the prayers we pray. This is how we approach the sovereign God of the universe. How arrogant of us to approach God this way. To, to, To feel like we're doing him a favor by giving him a part of our lives. (laughs) I want you to know something. Um, God doesn't share with us. Our lives are his. Every part of it. All of it belongs to Jesus. There is no division of ownership with Christ. It is all his. Abraham Kuyper says this. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who, in his so, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. 
It is all his. My money is his. It belongs to him. I'm a steward for it. That's it. I don't own it. He's given it to me to steward well for him. Um, my home is not my home. It is his home. He's given it to, uh, to me to steward for him. Uh, my talent is not my own. He's given it to me to steward for him. My family is not my own. This is why my girls... I can say, yeah, give your life to missions. Go overseas. Go do something dangerous. Go do something that makes me nervous. Why? Because I know that they're not mine. I'm stewarding them. They're gods. Let's, let's get down to the micro. My breath is not my breath. It's God's breath in me. Everything I have is because God in his sovereignty has allowed me to steward it for him. How arrogant of us to think that it's ours and we're doing God a favor by giving a little back to him. See, the kingdom of Jesus confronts our kingdom. By, by Jesus being enthroned, it confronts our kingdom throne we see again Matthew 2 3 King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this of course he was he was a maniac right he was he was trying to control his kingdom but but look at what it says here as was everyone in Jerusalem this was upsetting to the culture in Jerusalem normal people were uncomfortable with this why did they think King Herod was the greatest ever no he had mixed popularity at best. People knew what he had done and how he had done it. But people were comfortable with what they knew. They didn't want to upset the apple cart. They didn't want to do something different. So they said, we want what we know. And we are slaves to the comfortable in our lives. We want what we want and we don't want anything else. We want comfort King Herod was normal for them. How many people have said in the last, I don't know, nine months, I just am ready for things to get back to normal? Right? Over and over and over and over. Why? Because we like what we know. We like what is comfortable. And the people of Jerusalem were disturbed, even though it wasn't their kingdom that was being overthrown. It was an affront to their culture. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Kendall preached a message. Uh, it was the weekend after Thanksgiving. If you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. It was, it was so good. Um, and he was talking about a passage from Acts chapter 19. And later that day, I went and I read a little further down. I uh, just finished the rest of the chapter. And man, it just hit me hard. And I want to share this passage with you. Acts chapter 19, verse 23. Uh, let me just set the stage. Paul had started the church in Ephesus already. Um, and so this is this is happening all right in the same time period. Verse 23, about that time, some serious uh, trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. And the way was just a, a common name for the church, the church of Jesus. It was the way. Uh, it goes on to say in verse 24, 
It began with Demetrius, the silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis, and he kept many craftsmen busy. So this was a very wealthy man named Demetrius. Demetrius was a silversmith. He had a shop, and he employed people. And their primary, the primary good that they manufactured was a, a shrine or a temp, uh, an idol to uh, the, the, the goddess Artemis. The, Diana was another name for her. And there was a large temple to Artemis in Ephesus. In fact, it was one of the um, ancient wonders of the world. Uh, it was beautiful by all accounts. Um, and it's a cult. It was a cult, false worship to a false god. And this, this cult was pervasive in the culture. People People benefited from it. They profited from it. It was part of who they were. Literally millions of people would come from all over the globe annually for different festivals that they would have throughout the calendar year. So it was a huge draw. It was part of their identity, part of who they were. So this trouble begins to brew because Demetrius, the silversmith, in verse 25, it says he called them together, his employees and other people who worked in similar trades, and he addresses them and says, gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business, but as you've seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many that handmade gods aren't real gods at all. <laughs> and he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business, I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. And we're going to lose a bunch of money, right? Let's be honest here, Demetrius. Let's call a spade a spade, shall we? What's he saying? He's saying this gospel that Paul is preaching is attacking our kingdom. It's attacking our corporate kingdom, this culture that we know and love, this, this normal that we've experienced, and it's messing up our normal. We don't like that. And let's be honest, it's messing with my checkbook too. It's, he's, he's getting into my business and I don't like this. I'm losing money because of this guy. And so they have this meeting and he basically whips these people into a frenzy and, uh, and they almost have a riot. It's crazy. In fact, Paul was going to go speak to him and try to calm him down. And the local leaders were like, no, 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 they will kill you if you go there. So don't do that. That sounds a little bit like uh, politics in 2020 in the United States of America. It's a little hairy. If you want to read that, you can. It's interesting. But what do we see? We, we see that the gospel was going to cause these men to lose something. And... We've gotten so accustomed to hearing a gospel that'll just give you and bless you and help you and take care of you. And it's gonna make you comfortable. It's gonna make you happy. It's gonna fulfill all your dreams and all your magical wishes. You just sign here and everything will be fine. And, and those are the messages we hear online and on television. And God made you to be happy. He made you to be wealthy. He made you to be all these things. Well, the gospel I read talks a lot about suffering, talks a lot about loss, talks a lot about hurt. <laughs> Jesus wasn't driving a Bentley. Did you know that? Most scripture describes him relative, as relatively homeless. But 
We believe that we're supposed to be happy and healthy and perfect and everything's all right and my kids are, are perfect and well-behaved and never cause any problems and my marriage is perfect, my house is... That's not the Christianity that I see in Scripture. What I see is that when Jesus calls us, he invites us to lay it all down. So you will lose something when you surrender your kingdom to Jesus. You're gonna maybe lose your income you might be losing your job because the reality is some of you watching this online, some of you here in this room, God has spoken to you about missions and you got a little nervous seeing these people up here talking about missions today because your heart started beating a little faster and you're like, nope, 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 I'm not doing that. But God's tugging on your heart and he's telling you to be obedient and you're going, I'm not gonna lose my kingdom I'm not gonna lose my job, my income, my comfort. This is what I know and love. But when you surrender everything to, to God, you might lose your job. You might lose your income. You might lose control over your life when you submit control of your life to him. When you stop segmenting portions of your life off and saying this is yours and this is mine, when you give him control over all of it, you might lose your future. Control your identity. <laughs> um, I didn't say this in the early service, but I'll say this to you guys today. Um, so many people will serve God as long as it doesn't cost them how they're perceived. So I'll serve God as long as it doesn't hurt my reputation, as long as I don't look funny. I don't want to look silly. I don't want to be made a fool. So I can go to church, because some it's a cool church to go to church to. It's, it's culturally accepted. They're the cool church. They have the cool music. They've got the cool pastor, if you don't believe me. He's wearing a jean jacket today. It's evidence of my coolness. And so we can go to a church like Summit because it's big and we can go hide and maybe we don't have to commit that much and it's okay. But what if Jesus said, will you surrender everything to me? Even if you don't look cool. Even if you have to sacrifice your identity. Even if you have to sacrifice your standing among your peers. Will you let me be king? And unfortunately for so many of us, that's where we draw the line. Nope, I won't do that. I'm going to be king. Will you be willing to lose your right to get even with that person that hurt you? Would you be willing to lose and surrender your comfort, your relationships with other people? You'll lose a lot when you surrender your kingdom to the kingdom of heaven. There's some other things you may lose. You may lose your insecurity. You may lose your hopelessness. You may lose your fear, your guilt, your shame, your anxiety, your condemnation. All of that could be surrendered as well. If you'll just give up control of your throne and your kingdom. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000. 
And in that passage, we talked about this Greek word lambano, and lambano is the word used for take. So when Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And lambano, it doesn't mean to take in the sense of a child taking a toy from another child, snatching it out of their hands. What it means is to receive willingly what is given. So when we give Jesus our kingdom, he's going to receive it willingly. He's not going to snatch it out of our hands. He doesn't take it from us. And one of the things we talked about that weekend that I want to remind you of is that Jesus always gives us more than he takes. But I want to add to it and say this, and Jesus always gives better than he takes. He never takes something for us and then gives us an even trade for it. He always gives us something better than what he received from us. Now, I want you to be careful with this. You can mess up your theology here. This is where those televangelists will say, you send me a hundred, you're gonna get a thousand dollars back in the mail. I wish that worked. We would have had Blairsville paid for, <laughs> right? I would have been sending them money already. We would have gotten that. That's not how it works. But the principle is true that Jesus always gives better than he takes. Whatever he receives from us, he's gonna give us better. When you give him your, your broken, run-down kingdom that you're so proud of, I promise you he's gonna give you something better. Right. Promise you. You know, as I was thinking about this message and praying about it, I was thinking about uh, my favorite character in scripture, one of my favorites, King David. I, I love King David. Um, if, if you're not familiar with who King David is, he was also uh, David from David and Goliath. So he killed Goliath as a young man. He was anointed king of Israel as a young man. And then he had this long waiting period from the time where he was anointed king to the time that he became the king. And in the meantime, there was a crazy king named Saul who was in power. And even though David knew he was to be the king someday, he had this promise, he waited. And even though, though the king who was enthroned was not godly, he was not good, he was not moral, he was actually trying to kill David, David still submitted to his authority. He never tried to wrestle the kingdom out of Saul's hands, even though he had the right to, even though people tried to convince him to, he never did. You fast forward in his life, after he became king, he had many children, and one of his children was a young man named Absalom. And Absalom, uh, scripture says, was a very handsome man. He was charismatic. People were attracted to him. And he was to be the king someday, almost assuredly. But yet he didn't want to wait. And so he still started building a coalition of people and building a case against his father, the king. What we see in the story is that Absalom gathered a group of people, worshiped together and declared himself king of Israel. And when David heard, David didn't fight him. He didn't bring the troops out. They didn't meet in the valley for a fight over the kingdom. David left. I love the heart of David. He leaves alone. He doesn't try to bring his people with him. He leaves and he weeps. 
And I believe that David didn't weep because he lost his kingdom. I believe he wept because he lost his son. He didn't try to hold on to it. He didn't try to fight it. The thing I love about David is he held on to his kingdom loosely. He understood that his kingdom wasn't his kingdom. His authority wasn't his authority. His throne wasn't his throne. It was all God's. So if he lost his kingdom, it wasn't his in the first place. It was God's. So he held on to it very loosely. In the moment God wanted to take something from him, he willingly released it. It didn't mean it wasn't painful, but he trusted God. So my question to you today is, how tightly are you holding on to your kingdom? Are you like Herod or Saul, that you'll do anything in your power to maintain your kingdom, maintain your authority, maintain your power, maintain your control? Have you segmented your spirituality up where you've said, God, you can have this, but I've got this? Because if so, you're hanging on to your kingdom pretty tight. Will you surrender everything to him today? Will you forfeit your kingdom to the kingdom of heaven? Where is this newborn king of the Jews? As surely is that disturbed King Herod. My hope is that that'll disturb your heart a little bit today. And you'll be confronted with the reality that Jesus is King, he is Lord, whether we acknowledge it or not. Let's pray together. God, thank you. for loving us when we are rebellious in our own hearts towards you, when we wanna hang on to our kingdoms and hang on to our authority and hang on to our comfort and hang on to our finances and hang on to all the things you've given us as if we've earned it, as if it's ours. God, forgive us. God, we repent today of the times we've been more interested in building our kingdom than your kingdom. Forgive us. God, I pray for those that are here today that, that maybe they're recognizing today they've never really submitted their heart to you. Maybe they've prayed and maybe they've been religious. They've gone through all the motions, but they recognize today that their hearts really aren't submitted to you, that you're not king of their life. Let today be the day they surrender to your kingship, your lordship. I pray for those that are here that maybe they've... Uh, They've given you a shelf. They've given you an area. They've, they've put up boundaries to prevent you from taking control of their whole life. Let today be the day that we tear down those walls, tear down those fences. We erase the boundaries and say, God, I am yours. Every part of me is yours. Have your way. And God, remind us that you always give more than you take and you always give better than you take. So God, have your way with us today. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, nobody's looking around. If you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? I recognize what you're talking about. That's me. And I need to surrender my kingdom to his kingdom. I need to surrender my throne to his throne. I'm tired. I'm worn out of trying to be king of my life. I can't do it. 
And I need, I need Jesus to be king. I need him to be Lord. If that's you, whether you're making this confession for the first time or maybe you're coming back, rededicating your life. If you're here and you'd say, Mel, I wanna make Jesus king of my life. I wanna submit to his kingship and his authority totally and fully. If that's you, would you raise your hand real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, in the center section, I see you. Yeah, I see you in the balcony. Thank you so much. Who else? Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Thank you. Praise God. Yeah, thank you on my right up in the balcony. Praise the Lord. Yeah, thank you on my right. Just a couple more seconds. Anyone else? I'd like everybody in this room, everyone watching online, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. The word of God tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I want you to, I want you to pray this with your mouth. I want you to say this out loud, but I want you to mean it from your heart. So, so say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving your son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is yours. Everything I have and everything I am belong to you. Use it for your glory. I repent of my sin. I thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause today? Listen, for those of you that responded, whether you raised your hand or not, uh, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, the Word of God tells us you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. And we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. Just like, just like a baby isn't born and then they go, okay, on to the next one. Like the baby has to be raised, right? There's got to be parents involved. And, and we want to help you develop and grow and take the next step in your faith journey. And so the simplest thing for you to do would be to one, do one of two things. You can either text the word different to the number 94,000. It's different to 94000, or you can fill out the, the card that's in the seat back in front of you that says salvation. If you'll fill that out and you're here in the room, take it to our information center, give it to them. They're gonna give you a Bible before you leave today and help you take the next step. If you're watching online and you'll text us, let us know. We're gonna help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can connect with, begin to grow in your faith if you're not here in this area. So again, thank you for worshiping with us today. I'm gonna pray one final prayer over us before we're dismissed. And as I'm praying, I'm gonna invite our prayer team and some of our staff to join me here at the front of the room. And as we're dismissed today, if you need prayer for any reason at all, uh, I would just encourage you, make your way forward. Let one of them pray with you. And uh, even if you're just sitting in the room and you like to pray a little bit, uh, you just wanna to sit in the spirit of God, in the presence of God, feel free just to sit in this room. And, uh, and take your time. If you're watching online and you need prayer, uh, we've got hosts that'll pray with you right now. If you're willing, you just hit that live prayer button and they will agree with you before you log off today. So let me pray a final prayer before we're dismissed. Lord, thank you so much for all you've done. Thank you for the people who said yes to you today, who rededicated their lives or have surrendered their lives. Lord, I pray that this would be a watershed moment for them, that they would be able to mark their lives based on what happened today. They would be able to see your kingdom truly manifest in them today. 
and advance in them today. So God, have your way. Minister, God, thank you for what you've done. And we celebrate what you will do. God, I pray as we leave here today, we would carry your presence with us. We would carry your glory with us. That Lord, we would see your kingdom advance in the people we come into contact with. That we would see you work and move and and see lives made different because of your spirit in us. So God, we give you the glory. We thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you that we get to be a part of your kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great week.